Show. Media. Presentation. I have Maisel. This is. Hey, it's Ryan Lindsay. Hey, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Long time no talk. Yeah. Hello, world. My name is Ryan Lindsay, and this is my podcast, Self Quarantine, which, if you are a good global citizen, is what we are all doing. It's the pandemic podcast that can be enjoyed from a social distance. A good friend of mine, Blue, recommended that I mention the other names that I've used in radio that you might know me by, since rarely was I ever called the name that my mom gave me. So I thought, you know what? It couldn't hurt. So if you were a listener of the Herd with Colin Cowherd in the early 2000s in Portland, Oregon, and the first two years at ESPN Radio, you might know me as Rydog. Yes, Rydog. If you listen to the Doug and Wolf show at... Sports 620 KTAR in Arizona Sports in the greater Phoenix market. I was known as Yoda. Yes, the Star Wars character Yoda because co-host Ron Wolfley, a.k.a. Wolf, called me the Jedi Master. So, of course, you couldn't go with Luke. I was Yoda. This, of course, helped me get lots of followers on Twitter, especially on May 4th. From all those Star Wars nerds, so I guess I should thank them for that. So at this point, you might be doing that thing when you hear the name of the really good character that you don't know who he is until you find out he played that iconic role in that movie that you like, and then you can say, Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, that's me. I'm that guy. Maybe that, maybe that should be the name of the podcast. Hey, that guy. Oh yeah, that guy. As of episode two, we have no sponsors for this fine fledgling podcast. So I thought I would start having some fun with some of my favorite products and things and maybe make up some sponsorships for a particular episode with the chance that that particular company that produces that product that I like so much might like my read and might like the idea and actually do it for real. So here we go. With that being said, this part of the self-quarantine podcast is sponsored by Hot Tamale Cinnamon Candy. If you love cinnamon flavor, sugar, and a candy that you can't just eat one, then this one's for you. Just Born's Hot Tamale Cinnamon Candy. It's the perfect candy for a good old-fashioned pandemic. If you like the podcasts or are doing the whole wait-and-see approach, Please rate and review us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us. As a little incentive for rating and leaving a review, please add the name of your business, a charity that is doing good during these hard times, or to shout out the first responders, medical personnel, delivery drivers, and grocery store workers that you know. I will read these in upcoming episodes, just a way to keep us all connected and to shine a spotlight and give a little pub to some of those people that are on the front lines and helping us get through this little pandemic. I'm also going to give them a little bit more PR and add them to some of my social media postings at some of my social media feeds, like Pod. that's the Twitter and Instagram, Pod. also my personal Twitter which used to be at Yoda620, now is Ryan21L. 
If you'd like to contact me by email or would like to know more information on doing your own podcast with my company, Fusha Media, or would like to sponsor this fine podcast, maybe Hot Tamales would email me, ryan at fushamedia.com. Fusha Media is F-O-O-S-H-A-W-M-E, D is in dog, I, A is in alpha, dot com. Ever since the first year in sports radio, when a fellow producer, the great Nick Pavlados, tracked down his phone number by looking on the internet at one of those old phone book websites. Yes, kids, we used to have to look up people's numbers and they actually would have them posted. I have been booking ESPN.com senior college football writer Ivan Mazel ever since. Most of the time, I was able to speak with him for one or two minutes before I put him on with the host that I was working with at the time. But once we both started working at ESPN, our conversations became more frequent and a little longer. In this conversation, we talked about growing up Jewish in Alabama in the 1960s and 70s, going from the South to Stanford, how to fix the Pac-12, and our memories of the American original college football icon and our former co-worker, Bino Cook. But we started with a subject that came from me complimenting him on the story that he did about he and his wife's friendship with former Wazoo quarterback Tyler Holinsky's parents, Mark and Kim. They both have dealt with and are still dealing with their sons committing suicide in college. When I started, I didn't know how much Ivan really would want to talk about what happened to his family. It really wasn't part of the plan. What happened was a thoughtful and honest conversation about what a lot of families are dealing with every day. If you know a person or if you're feeling like you need to talk to someone, feeling a little down, don't know where to turn, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is there when or if you need it. 1-800-273-8255 or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Now my conversation with senior college football writer for ESPN.com, Ivan Mazel. And I started by asking him, you know, if you mind talking about the story, talking about what's what happened in his life. Not at all. Ryan. Okay. You, you know, the, the, and I was like this too. I mean, people are very apprehensive. Well, I've known you a long time, Ivan, and yeah. you know, and exactly, yeah, you know. and that helps. But uh, to my point, you know we live with the loss of our son every day. So uh, it's not as if somebody, I think people are uh, apprehensive because it seems like such an uncomfortable uh, subject and it is for them, but we don't have any choice. We have to get comfortable with the loss because it's right here. You You can't, you can't get away from it. And, uh, the the sooner that you are able to make some sort of peace with it, uh, or at least uh, you know fight it to a draw, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the more you can go on living your life. I mean, it, the the one thing I think, and everybody at some point in their life grieves, and, and uh, w- what struck me about my grief was the more as as hard as the loss is the more that 
tried to sort of stay where Max was and immerse myself, trying to remember everything and keep him present. You, you can do that, but you can't do it at the expense of not living, continuing to live your life. You know, you have to keep living your life because uh, good things do continue to happen. And, and, you know, one really, really bad thing happened. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it always, always found it remarkable that in the 18 months after Max died, I had four weddings in my family, you know, mm. my nieces and nephews. And uh, so was I not going to enjoy those or try to enjoy those you know and, and so that's sort of been my philosophy through the whole thing uh and what i the, the reason i was able to connect with kim and mark kilinski was uh, you know i wasn't afraid to talk to them about it and because i'm there mm -hmm. you know and, and in fact all i am is just three years farther down the road than they are. So, you know, Mark and I have continued, well, Mark and Kim uh, have, we, you know, we are still friends. Uh, my wife, Meg, and I are friends with them now. And, you know, Mark and I stay in touch. Uh, he and I have texted this week and Kim and Meg have texted this week. You know, we don't, we're not in constant touch, but we check up on one another. And I think that's, uh, that connection and, and my ability to explain what they were going through mm -hmm. is I think what propelled that story and, and made it mean so much to so many people. Yeah. That, that was a long answer. Yeah, no, it was a great answer. <laughs> and cause I think it, it's not a short answer. I think, you know, and I look at it, obviously, as just a guy who went to that school, uh, rooted for him, was heartbroken just for, because I, I know Washington State, I know how special the place is, you know, and I know everybody will say the same thing about their university, but I, I, I truly believe that, because it's 65% of the students live within a half-mile campus. It's the it's the only thing that's there, and so there is yes. a, a camaraderie there. There's a, a song that they play, and you probably saw it. You know, they did a lot when they were there for college game. They did the Amber, Andy Grammer song about coming home and you know calling Pullman home, and 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 I think that's you know for for Washington State grads, it's real. So for one of ours to do that, and no one really knew that he was that way. I think we all kind of felt, I mean, we all kind of felt really, really sad about it. And I think that's why there's been such uh, an outcry and and support from Washington State alums and grads. A friend of mine, uh, Ian Furness, he does Afternoon Drive for KGR in Seattle. And he does a yearly golf tournament. And he had one charity, and he added Helensky's Hope to it just because oh. of... Yeah, just because he's had he's been really connected with the Holinsky family. He's had him on. They've come out to the golf tournament, and uh, that's great. Yeah, and I think it's those kind of things that uh, I think, and I think you know we'll get into this more 
I think that's what makes you know college and college football so special is is those kind of connections you get from from a really a really transformative part of your life. No, exactly. I mean, you know, the 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 bonds that you create and and cement in those uh, four or five or more years on campus, yeah, <laughs> uh, at, at that age, last forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm uh, I have seen that in my life with with my college friends. Mm-hmm. You know, we can all and and do just pick up the phone and, and especially now in the age of coronavirus, you know, we're all checking up on each other talk and, to people. and yeah. And, uh, I think there's so much of that feeling of, of a connection that, uh, I think hit people when Tyler died, you know, that and the sort of lost promise of, of his, death and and just the fact that he was a public figure yeah and especially yeah up there mm-hmm. and, yeah and, and as you point out that i didn't know how to ask for help yeah you know, and, and so many you keep seeing that honestly yeah and, and i wasn't gonna i really wasn't gonna go down this road but yeah. a friend of mine from uh, that I, uh from facebook uh who i went to junior high with and you know it's one of those facebook friends you really don't you know, connect too much, but uh, I, I looked at one of his posts and he talked about his son. And so I went to his, his feed and found out, you know, his son committed suicide in, he was 20 and was a dancer. His family is really into the Mormon faith and seemed the happy go lucky kid, you know, the videos he posted, all this kind of stuff. And then and then you just it's you just don't understand and it seems like it seems like it's it's happening more than before and i don't know if that's the case cuz i haven't looked to see if is there's any statistical evidence all i'm doing it is looking at it anecdotally and it seems like it's yeah. it's happening more i think it is happening more but i think we're also seeing it come out into the open more mm-hmm. and you know, certainly the generation before mine, and I'm older than you are, <laughs> you swept it I was gonna say under that. the rug. Yeah. And yeah. now uh, people understand that uh, mental illness is can be as insidious and as deadly as cancer, mm. which is a an appropriate uh, comparison because, yeah. again— in the you know the generation before mine, they didn't talk about cancer. No, you didn't, you didn't talk about it, and then somebody figured out. Well, if we publicize it and try to generate support to figure out how mm-hmm. to to end it, that's a good thing. And we're just now beginning to do that with suicide. Yeah, uh, and it obviously, as 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 you're pointing out, it needs to be done. It it's. Uh, I think there's more stress on certainly on kids now than there's ever been. And I don't know whether it's just the, the public face in the way they live their lives or, uh, you know, online or, uh, what exactly it is, but you know, there's certainly a need. Uh, I've gotten involved with a foundation 
uh, in Connecticut that operates workshops nation on college campuses nationwide and actually high school campuses as well uh, called Fresh Check. It's the Jordan Porco Foundation. Uh, Fresh Check is basically teaching college kids how to check in on their peers and make sure that they're okay. You know, yeah, their mental health is okay, mm-hmm. and and it's it uh, has gotten a good bit of traction. And Helinski's hope is is dealing mainly with with athletes. This is just more the general student populace. I can say for myself personally, and you brought up checking in with your friends, that kind of thing. I think that I think in these times, I think we all need to have kind of that um, support group. And I think that um, oh, yeah. more than ever, I think that that's um, so important. Um, and, I, and like I said, I didn't, didn't really want to go down that far down the rabbit hole, but you know, we kind of went there. So I'm just going to talk a little bit more about you and uh, things that I learned last night that I didn't know about uh, one Ivan Mazel. What was it like growing up Jewish in Alabama and eventually, then eventually moving to the hub of Judaism in America, the Northeast? <laughs> Uh, it's a loaded question. It was, huh? uh, <laughs> no, it was, you know, I mean, you don't know any different. Yeah. So you grow, the way you grow up is the way you grow up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we knew and I knew that we were different and you, uh, I think a lot of storytellers and a lot of journalists in particular are people who are on the outside looking in mm-hmm. and you, 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 you learn to observe. And that was the role I think, you know, I had growing up and every kid grows up differently. My brother became part of the general community within, you know, the way we were growing up. And I would always felt more like an outsider, you know, and, and that's part of that's personality. But I think, certainly for me part of it was being jewish and you know for that matter my parents both grew up jewish in mobile so it was even worse for them or Hmm. or more removed i would say not necessarily worse there is a great community of feeling among jews who grew up in the south there's a game known as jewish geography where and and it's especially acute in the south (laughs) and that if i meet somebody who's from the South, who's Jewish, it generally only takes us about one or maybe two people to connect. You know, <laughs> you know so-and-so? Yeah, it, 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 that's, uh, oh, that's so funny. We, yeah, that's called Jewish geography. That's funny. That actually reminds yeah. me, um, my wife and I like to travel, and I caught that bug when I lived in the Northeast because it was so cheap to, at that point to fly from Boston to London. One of our trips, we went to Iceland, and I don't know if you've ever, ah. been, you've ever been to Iceland, but you know, my just, wife has. I have not. Oh, you need to go to Iceland. It's amazing. But it reminded me of being in Iceland, and it's a small country. It's it's only three hundred thousand, three hundred thirty thousand people that live there total. And so I was in this the second largest town in Iceland called Akareri, which is like forty miles from the Arctic Circle, and it was at this bar. And uh, started uh, talking to the um, bartender, and she told us that in Iceland there's an app that they have to make sure that 
the person that they might be dating they're not related to. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyways, um, so is your family Roll Tide or War Eagle? Well, my, both my parents went to the University of Alabama, as did my older brother. I think in part that was because Alabama was the liberal arts business uh, law school campus and Auburn was engineering and agriculture. Mm. Uh, uh, so we were definitely not uh, engineering and farming people. Uh, <laughs> I, I think my ancestors have been farmers if you go back far enough yeah. in the old country. But uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, we I grew up uh, in an Alabama house and you know, watch the Bear Bryant show every Sunday afternoon in the fall to see the replay of a game the day before. And really, that's what inculcated in me you know, my love and my understanding of college football and why it's important to people. And that comes to something else I was going to talk about is you going from Alabama to Stanford. Was it hard to adjust? <laughs> was, was it hard to adjust culturally, especially the difference in attitude for college football. I know when I moved from the Pacific Northwest to Connecticut, I mean, it's a different kind of culture, but it was, it was a huge culture shock. It's comp- it's amazing that we're the same country, to be honest. Uh, no question. No, I, well, I, to be completely honest with you, I applied to Stanford going to a public school in, in Mobile because somebody, and I don't remember who said to me, well, Stanford's a good academic school. You should apply Putting there. Putting it mildly. I, well, I, I, what did I know? Yeah. It was 1976 in, in Mobile, Alabama. And my immediate thought was, well, they're in the Pac-8. I'd rather watch that than watch the Ivy League. Okay, I'll apply there. <laughs> and that was the extent of my research into Stanford. You know, And, and so uh, I did get in, I think, almost certainly because of geographic distribution, you know, it's always a big thing at Stanford to this day that they get somebody from all 50 States. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I say this only half jokingly, Ryan, I had to repeat everything I said for the first six weeks I was there because <laughs> people couldn't understand. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Especially back then. Uh, Cause I mean, that was yeah. 1976. I mean, we were a lot. Uh, Seventy-seven. Fall, yeah, yeah, seventy-seven. But yeah, we're yeah. the world is so different now than it was then. We're we're so more connected because of technology. Back then, yeah, I, I can only probably the only thing they ever saw from the South was probably like Mayberry or or you know Andy yeah, Griffith, Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazzard. You know, yeah. it. it uh, I think the homogenization of of America had begun by then, just because we all watched the same three television you know, mm-hmm. shows the same three television stations every week. So mm-hmm. you began to hear what the way that people without accents spoke, it was different. And, and, you know, college football was much more important to me than it was to a lot of my friends out there. Still and, is. And, uh, and still is, but they, I was fortunate in the sense that my first two years in school, we had this, you know, NFL assistant coach named Bill Walsh, uh, who came to Stanford to be a head coach. Mm. So we were good, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, 
the last two years, not so much, but John Elway was one of our quarterbacks the last two years. So I, uh, it, it's one of my favorite trivia questions to point out to people that my last two years there, we had three starters on our offense who are now in the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, John Elway, Darren Nelson, and Ken Marjoram. And we went five, five and one one year and six and five the next. That's really hard to do uh, with that amount of talent on your offense, but somehow Stanford managed. Was your senior year the play? It was the year at, no, excuse me. It was two years after, oh, okay. but I was in okay. the stands for it. Oh, you I were? I was in the stands for it, yeah. Talk about that. Uh, well, I, at that time, I had was my first year as a fact checker at Sports Illustrated, and and I was working on baseball and, and a fact checker in the pre Google days. It was mm. you know you had to become you learned how to be a reporter. You were Google. Uh, yeah, you were Google. And uh, baseball season ended, and I was fried. And I, you know, a couple of weeks later, I went out to see my college buddies and and go to big game. And you know, we were sitting in the Stanford section in the, in the end zone and Memorial stadium in Berkeley and, and all the, we're all celebrating because Stanford obviously won 20 to 19. And yet the, the, after the crazy play, the officials kept huddling. And as my friends are celebrating, I'm, I'm elbowing my best friend who's sitting next to me. And I keep going, this isn't good. This isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't signaled anything. Yet. This isn't good. And, and all of a sudden, oh. the, the white hat put up his hands, and you could just see oh, no. the the cow side erupt and just spilled forward onto the field. And it was like a, I don't want to say like an earthquake. That's a little too close to home out there. But you, was just, you could just see the people just sort of flow yeah. onto the field. Yeah. And we were just sitting there like, oh, my God goodness what just happened and, you know you, you always wonder especially back then you know whether people understood how unusual and what a big deal the finish was and i woke up the next morning and i flipped on uh, nfl today on cbs at nine o'clock and the first thing out of brent musburger's mouth was you know folks you got to see what happened at the end of the stanford cal game yesterday. <laughs> okay they get it <laughs> can you imagine if that happened the last couple of years with twitter and social media how the how social media would just it would they everyone knows talks about this was going to crash twitter that would actually probably crash twitter well except brian uh, that you know, if we had had instant replay, Stanford would have won. Oh, there it is. There it is. Cardinal colored glasses. Would <laughs> we would have talked. We would be talking about John Elway's uh, one bowl game. There it is. So, yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. As of today, who is the best college football coach in America? It's Nick Saban. Uh, Still over uh, Dabo, uh, huh? Yeah, I, I think. You know, just for the fact that, you know, Nick's done it six times and Dabo's done it twice. Mm. You know, I'd say Clemson's probably got the best program right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're looking at breadth of of accomplishment and achievement, I'd still say Saban. Best college football coach ever? 
Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, I would have said that a year ago, but having immersed myself into the whole 150. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that yeah, in a second. I, I think I'd, I, I think I'd, I, I would have to sit down long and hard oh, to think about okay. whether it was Rockney or say. Okay. Uh, All right. No. So what, here's a, here's a what if for you. What if Nick Saban never leaves LSU or what if the Miami Dolphins doctors passed Drew Brees' repaired yeah. shoulder? What happens to college football then? Have you thought about that? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the Brees' shoulder is more plausible. The reasons that Saban left LSU had not changed. You know, he wanted to see if he could make it in the NFL. So there's no what if there. Okay. He was always going to leave and to me in that situation. If Breeze had been, you know, if he had gotten hold of Breeze, he'd probably still be in Miami. And so would Breeze. And yeah. I would say Alabama would have hired somebody would have been successful to some degree, but mm -hmm. nobody that would have done what Nick has done. If you look at the history of Alabama coaches, every single coach they've had back going back to Bryant, so you're talking about going back to 1958 has won 10 games at least once, you know, except for Mike price, probably a sore subject where you're at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can, we can talk, we'll talk about that here in a second, at least the conference, <laughs> but you know, uh, Mike Dubose won 10 games, Bill Curry won 10 games. I take that back. Ray Perkins never won more than eight, but the point is it's, it's, the, you are set up at Alabama to ha, to have a level of success. Uh, it's uh, that important to them, and they give you the resources to do it. Uh, so somebody, if it hadn't have been Nick Saban, would have had some measure of success there. But the, you know, I can't think of anybody else that would have won five national championships in nine years. Next thing is I wanted to talk about this great podcast that you had last fall, the History of College Football. One of the episodes down and distance, down and yeah. distance. Thank you. Down and distance. You can still catch it on uh, all the places that you get your podcast. That's where I listened to re-listen to some of them uh, this morning to get ready for this interview. One of the episodes was about the University of Miami, which is now referred yeah. to obviously as the U. Yep. You blew me away when you talked about that 18 year old freshmen that enrolled in college were born the last time that they won a national championship. And it just, that just yeah. blew me away. And then you talked about how Miami, Florida State, and Florida dominated college football for 25 years. How does that come back, or will it ever? Well, the, certainly the the raw talent is still in Florida, but they, you know, the old the old cliche of building a fence around the state of Florida. Yeah, you know, the fence is in pretty bad shape right <laughs> now, and uh, you know. I don't know that it will ever be it will ever be what it was uh, for a lot of reasons. One is that you know when they started, there were three major programs in the state. Now there's five, and you know you can argue about whether USF and UCF would really hinder uh, Miami or Florida State, but they're going to get players that would have been big contributors on a Miami and a Florida, you know, a guy who starts for UCF or USF may be a 30 play a game guy 
at a top five Miami or, or Florida State. If you don't have those guys, then you're not going to be you're not going to have that level of success. You know, that's one. The, the other is that the ACC was not in the state of Florida at that time. Uh, the Big Ten continues to uh, recruit heavily in the state of Florida. The SEC obviously does. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of snouts in that trough right now. And I, I don't know. Uh, the, and the other thing I would say is that Miami allowed itself to fall way behind on facilities. And and that's it's hard to catch up if you, if you let yourself go the way that the Miami Athletic Program let itself go. Oh, we're going to talk about that here in a second. So, as a college football fan outside of the South, like myself, I do not like the SEC. I think their fans are annoying <laughs> with their SEC chants, and their success is frustrating. So, yes. my th- I have a theory on how I think we can break up their dominance. What if traditional powers, Texas, USC, Florida State, and Miami, came back to their dominant selves? Would that work? Because breaking up well, ge- geographically... And help with, you know, because the SEC just is, is going in and pillaging California and Texas now. I mean, places that yeah. normally, if you have those powers, they would keep those great recruits in those states. You know, and the, but the, the interesting thing there to me, Ryan, and nobody really understood this when the SEC, when the SEC appropriated Texas A&M, you know, when they went and got Texas A&M, Nobody understood that that opened the door for 13 more schools to more easily recruit Texas kids. Yeah. Because you can now go in, certainly into Houston, you know, which is probably, uh, I don't know, you can, I think Atlanta's the, the biggest, you know, got the most talent. And after that, either the Houston area or, or Southern California is probably second. Hmm. You know, all those kids that, you know, a coach can go in there and say, we're going to play A&M every year. You're, you know, mm-hmm. your parents, you know, are going to see you play. We're not that far away. And mm-hmm. I think that really delivered a blow to not just Texas, but the big 12. Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you about Florida <laughs> State and Miami though. You're on your own there. All right. All right. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about our conference. When you went to school, it was a Pac-8. When I went to school, it was a Pac-10. And now it's a Pac-12. Yep. Do you know anything about the new Washington State coach, Nick Rolovich, as a Coug? That I, know? Uh, I can tell you what I know is that it's really hard to be successful at Hawaii. And he seemed to do it quickly and decisively. And that that carried a lot of weight with me. I, I mm-hmm. thought, uh, I thought, uh, that Wazoo made a good hire and, uh, it's, you know, it, it's a tough place. Yeah. Oh, I know. I hear about yeah, it all the time. I mean, I, I, and I'm not going to sit <laughs> preaching here and to the choir. Why it's difficult. <laughs> I know why. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, the, and the entire conference is, is struggling as you pointed out. Yeah, we're going to so, get to that in a second, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's tough, but I I really respect what Nick Rolovich got done, you know, at Hawaii. And, and the, to me, I, I think 
you know, I don't see why he can't succeed there. Should Pac-12 football fans be worried by the coaches that left the conference and the coaches that were hired this offseason and the one that is still there for some reason? And we all know which one that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, yeah, the, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think clearly, you know, the Pac-12 uh, bet – on its own network and it was a losing bet you know it's possible you know that in the next two or three years as they begin to prepare for the next negotiation uh what is it 24 that it comes up Mm -hmm. uh you know maybe this strategy will will bear fruit and slingshot them back into, you know, to where they're fighting on, you know, with the same number of weapons that the other conferences have, they are falling behind more every day. I think it's shown up on the field and it's, it's weird too, because, you know, I I don't know that it's necessarily easy to point at the money difference and say, this is why we've fallen behind, but there are fewer resources. Leadership. it's leadership, it's fewer resources, it's the inability to pay assistant coaches, it's recruiting budget, you know, just uh, who, who ever, ever, ever would have thought that a kid like Bryce Young, who went to Matt Leinert's high school, for God's sake, you know, would not go to USC. And not only would not go to USC, but would go to Alabama. Embarrassing, I mean, that's just, yeah. It's, it's incredible. Well, you know, and, and and even Nick Eason going to Georgia. I mean, he, he came back, but Jacob uh, Eason, Jacob Eason, yeah. excuse me, no yeah. problem. Yeah, uh, there's an issue there, <laughs> and that, that door is going to be awful hard to close. Well, it's sort of the same thing as with Miami and Florida State. Well, I think a lot of it, it's 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 the commissioner. You need to bring in, you need to bring in a, a football commissioner, and I think if you bring in somebody who knows the West Coast, maybe an athletic director who can come in and knows the knows how to build something in the West Coast and is football-centric, then I think he might have a chance, but I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Do you have somebody in mind? Well, it would take away from my university, but maybe uh, help with the, the conference in general. Pat Chun, yeah. athletic director, I don't know how long we're going to keep him, honestly, because – he is so good, especially after losing Bill Moose, who I thought you know didn't end his career there very well, and a lot of Cougar alums are pretty bitter about it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what a home run hire by the new president, Kirk Schultz. And I, I always think about, all right, where is he going to leave to? And I'm thinking probably a, a, a worthy Big Ten school, it, obviously, if he's an Ohio State guy, if Ohio State ever comes up, he leaves there. But I think he's, I think he's bigger than that. I I could see him being a a, a commissioner, and if I was the president of the Pac-12, I, I would look at him. I don't know how much you know about Pat Chun, but well, just that, you know, I know that he was smart enough to hire Nick Rolovich. It, you know, I know that you know uh, he has. Uh, you know, that Washington State 
know that Bill Moose put him in a tough situation. Yeah. But, you know, he seems to, uh, you know, the, the program has not rolled over and, no. and played dead. Um, yeah. I mean, he's. John uh, Wilner thought him. he should. John Wilner thought, uh, you know, John Wilner. Uh, yeah. he, he thought that USC should have hired him. That was his, that was his, his pick. Well, and I was, you know, when you were talking about, you know, where would he go? It, my mind flashed to that. that yeah. You know, he, you know, y'all, uh, y'all evaded a punch there. <laughs> yes, you know, we I, did. I, I'm I waiting for Indiana to pop up. I'm waiting for, you know, anything outside of Michigan in the Big Ten that's, a, you know, a decent program or, or an yeah. ACC school, like if a North Carolina pops up or something like that, I could see him leaving. Well, you know, I think a guy, I think Rick, Rick George has done a good job at CU. You mm-hmm. know, that's a guy to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but within the conference, I don't know. I'd have to. Yeah. I don't know enough about other administrators. To I know. completely understand. Yeah. Just, just, just me as a frustrated um, fan of the conference. We're going to uh, finish it up here with some, some lighter questions, some lighter and some more serious questions, I guess. First one is you and I have both worked with the great Beano Cook. Give me a good, <laughs> give me a good Beano story. Well, I, I sure miss him. I mean, it'll be I do eight too. years yeah. this uh, fall. And what made Beano unique and what made him special was he knew how to be a friend. Uh, he took an intense interest in you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he, there's no question he could be a pain in the ass, but, you know, <laughs> he was, he was our pain in the ass. Yeah. He would, I would uh, call him up and I say, uh, Hey, Bino, what do you want to talk about today? And just so you know, I, I, this is an explicit uh, podcast so I can, I can swear. He'd be like, yeah. this is your fucking show. You told me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Bino. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would call him uh, the day before to talk about what we were going to talk about the mm-hmm. next day, and those calls would last longer than the, the eventual podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. He would, he would he, ask he, me, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, 20 minutes minimum. I, I remember one time he called, and I got off in 12 minutes, and I walked downstairs and you know said to Meg, you'll never believe this. <laughs> I, I just had a 12-minute conversation with Bino. So, but... Uh, uh, he was, uh, his love and, uh, appreciation, his love for and appreciation of college football was something you just don't run into, uh, anywhere. You know, I, I haven't run into it anywhere. His ability to remember people and remember games and, and events was just uncanny. Uh, you know, and I would, I, I don't know that I ever caught him in the mistake. I'd have to, you know, I'd have to go back and, and try to figure that out. Very rarely. He, he, yeah, he, very rarely. Uh, you know, everybody's got their famous, their favorite Beano line. Uh, mine was on the podcast one day on the morning of game seven of the series. I asked him if he was going to watch the game that night. And he said, yeah. He said, if I was in my bedroom and they were playing in my kitchen, I wouldn't get up to watch it. Yeah, so. It's baseball. It's yeah. baseball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, he told me once, I asked him, uh, why didn't he fly? He says, because one of the first things you see when you get to the airport is terminal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he started asking. Go ahead. Yeah. 
No, I wish he would have flown. I mean, there was a the story I always wanted to do with him was to take him, was to go to a, a big game with him. Uh-huh. And I finally decided, well, maybe I should just go to fly to Pittsburgh, rent a car, put him in it, and and we'll go we'll go on a road trip. That would have been awesome. But I think his by the time I kind of figured that out, his mm. health was too frail to do it. Yeah, I never got to write that story. Yeah, I remember when we first started talking, and and when I moved back there with Colin, Colin Coward, uh, my former host. <laughs> yep. Um. I remember the powers to be at ESPN radio is like, yeah, um, do you guys want to get Bino cook on? And, you know, all I knew about Bino was, you know, what I saw a character, uh, but we're kind of like, I don't know. And it didn't take long for us to be hook, line and sinker in in love with Bino and, and Colin always did such a great job with him. And, um, and they had both had, uh, you know, the same love college football. Yes. But I remember the first times I talked to him, he talked, he, he, won, he had all these questions about me. He's like, uh, are you married? I said, yeah. And I said, are you in love with her? <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I said, yeah. He's like, oh, love is something that uh, MGM made, made, or invented in the 1940s or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was Bino. So, yeah. uh, so great Bino Cook story for me. And it's, it's something that I will never forget ever forget when I was working I had uh, had a falling out with Colin and uh, wasn't working on that show anymore and was doing was working more with him on the weekends did a college football show with uh, Jim Donnan and was doing also one with with Mel and the Mel Bino relationship talk about just that that was an amazing relationship that just that friendship they talked every day but uh, so my story with Bino is, you know, when you work weekends, you have days off in the week. And I remember uh, my boss telling me that there is something in my mailbox that I really need to get. And when I get there, I'm like, okay. So I, my mailbox, I open it up, and it's a check from Bino for Christmas for $800. Wow. wow. Yes. Yeah. And I thought the generosity of that was, you know, he's, he was such a guy that had that hard northeast outer shell. But, yeah. But deep down inside, he cared about people. And I remember, oh my goodness, yeah. And I remember calling him up and, you know, he didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, yeah. He's like, um, I said, you know, Bino, thank you. He's like, oh. And I said, you know, you didn't have to do that. I said, well, don't fucking pay any money there. (laughs) 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 And so uh, I remember every year after that until he passed away, I would always send him something, uh, you know, off of Amazon. He was such a big World War II guy. I always would find a World War II book for him. But, um, Uh yeah. One of those special relationships that uh, I'll always remember for being in this business. So I'm going to wrap this up because I know it took took longer than I, I told you I would. So I, I appreciate you hanging with me. So oh, my pleasure. So you are close to the epicenter now of this virus that is affecting our world and changing everything as we speak. How are things going in your area? 
Well, uh, you know, uh, their people don't leave their house. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we're out in the, yeah, we're, we're out in the neighborhood and we, we stand in the driveway and talk to our neighbors in their driveway and we stand in the street, you know, or we'll go for a walk and we stand in the street and talk to friends, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, uh, people are certainly taking it seriously. I'm sure as they are there and, uh, we're hoping that our curve flattens the way yours is, you know, it's, it's funny though. I had to, my car didn't start this morning and the logistics of getting the car to the dealer. I, I had to sit there and really think about this. So I'm going to call a tow truck, but I don't want to ride in the tow truck with the guy. Okay. So what am I, how am I going to get the car back? You know, I guess, yeah. you know, because at that point, uh, our daughter who lives in San Francisco and is here working was, was gone with the car. So I thought, and was, I thought was going to be gone all day. So I thought, well, how am I going to get the car back? I, I don't want to take a lift to get the car. Seriously. Yeah. So I finally just texted my daughter and said, you need to be back. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I'll, I'm coming back this morning. I'm like, okay. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's just so many little, yeah, you have to think about these things that you really have to think about. You took for yeah, granted. So, yeah, yeah, and you know we all wash our hands a lot more carefully than we used to too. But you know we're, we're we're getting through it, and we will get through it. And you know we may lose the you know we're going to lose the the sporting a good chunk of the sporting summer, but let's just hope that we get the sporting fall back. Yeah, that that was my next question. Yeah. Are we going to have well, a football season? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Uh, it's striking to me that the, the, what is it? The 20 States that haven't gone to stay at home yet. You know, a lot of them are in the sec. And I think we uh, all know the reason for that. Ivan, I think, yeah, I think well, there's the no, big, I think there's a big uh, pink elephant in the room on that one. Yeah, no, there is. And, uh, I, you know, as I saw on Twitter last week, somebody said, if you, if you said to the people in the SEC states, if you don't stay at home, we won't have college football, you know, you couldn't pry them out of their houses. Maybe and they I need think, to. <laughs> yeah, I think that message needs to get out there. Well, if we have a season, are there going to be fans? I mean, you know, are we going to be yeah. to the point where we can not we, we can socialize and not be well, from a distance? Well, if we can have fans, we're not going to have 22 guys, you know, slobbering and sweating all over each other for three and a half hours, you know, because then they're going to go back to their campuses or maybe not. But anyway, you can't, you know, I don't know. Okay. I guess you could test everybody before they go on the field. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's, maybe it's one of those things where they're able to, you know, quarantine them and just have them. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and at that point, is it really worth it? I mean, to take the, take the joy of it, but it's also one of those things where, I think that we're, especially as sports fans, I think that's something that, you know, we could really use right now is, and I think that's why, even though I don't agree with it, I think the NFL sticking around is, I think it's helped people, just some sense of normalcy and everything. Yeah. So, um, so a couple more questions, and these are more sure. um, questions I'm asking everyone uh, as we are all self-quarantined 
since and since that's the name of this podcast, I don't know if I told you that, but my name of my podcast is actually called Self Quarantined. <laughs> that's that's the only reason why I'm doing it because I'm self quarantined. Very good. So, what have you been using your time with? What have you been doing? Well, I, uh, in terms of you know, long, lifelong, I'm going to do this some days. Uh, I read The Winds of War and War of Remembrance by Herman Wouk. Which, wow. And in truth, I started The Winds of War in February before anything happened, but it was it became much easier to get through all combined 2,000 pages of the paperbacks once I couldn't leave the house. Movie suggestions? Have you have you besides watching or besides uh, reading books? Have you watched any movies? Yes. Uh, well, anytime anybody asks me this, uh, I, I just go to my favorite all-time movies because I'm an old movie fan, and my favorite all-time movie is The Best Years of Our Lives, uh, directed in 1946 by William Wyler, and it's about three men who returned from the war and how they readjust to society. And it is, it's just a, it's an epic. Wow. And I haven't watched that I one. watch it. I probably watch it every year and I see something different every year. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So that would be my, okay. You know, I, we are watching the, uh, you know, we're, we're heavily into the plot against America uh, on HBO right now. I haven't we watched are, that one. It's uh, a, novel philip roth wrote in 2004 and it looks at what would have happened if uh, in 1940 america elected charles Lindbergh. oh yeah as president okay yeah. yep yep yeah i saw the previews for it i have not watched it yeah yet. It's, it's good huh very good and uh and we're also watching uh, endeavor which is a endeavor i think is on netflix it's a bbc series uh, if you like murder mysteries, it's a 90 minute show and each story is self-contained, uh, set in Oxford, England in oh. the sixties. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good characters. Good, good, yeah. good. So that, uh, yeah. that's my next question. So here's, here's one for you. Yeah. Do you have an impulse pandemic buy something that you just flippantly, said why not there's a pandemic yes as a matter of fact there is uh it's funny that you bring this up uh we all have them last year we found on the internet which i had been looking for for a long time uh spode the china manufacturers in the 30s made uh plates with depictions of life around the stanford campus you know buildings and other things so I found the six plates last year and I was so excited and we're about to hang them. And then last week I discovered that it was actually a series of 12. It wasn't a series of six. Uh, because again, right now I have time to research this. You know, <laughs> this <show. So laughs> uh, we have, I found five of the six that I was missing. So I'm down to looking for one. Uh, and, uh, so that was, that was an impulse purchase along with, uh, some books and a boatload of wine. I've been, uh, <laughs> uh, I've ordered a lot of, uh, I bet. Or- 
Morgan Pinot and oh. California cabins in. Uh, probably had like more than a case come in this week alone. Well, you need to look at the Washington wines then, my good friend, for, for Cabernet. Uh, Pepper Bridge. Okay, Walla yeah. Walla Walla Valley. That's my, that's my hometown. Did you know that? I'm from Walla Walla? I didn't know that. Actually, true story, I embellish it a little bit, but I can tell honestly tell people that Drew Bledsoe and I were on the same football team. <laughs> of course, I never Very played, yeah. but... You know, he was our quarterback. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. la- last question is, how is your toilet paper reserves? We got in early, uh, and, and I was just thinking today, we might ought to revisit that. I'm more worried about paper towels than toilet paper, okay. to be honest with you. Flour is uh, another big one. It's hard to find flour. Everyone's yeah, baking, everyone's well, baking bread. Uh, I will tell you this. Uh, it's something to think about. Thanks to Ivan Maisel for a great conversation. If you'd like more information on the Jordan Porco Foundation that Ivan mentioned in our conversation, you can go to rememberingjordan.org. Ivan's podcasts on the 150th anniversary of college football, Down in Distance, can be found wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to try and leave these links and info in the podcast notes and also post them on social media. Once again, rate and review the podcast. Leave a shout-out for your business, a charity, first responders, delivery drivers, and grocery store workers who are helping us get through this entire mess and pandemic that we're all dealing with at this point. Instagram, at SelfQuarantinePod. Twitter, at SQuarantinePod. Once again, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. As this pandemic continues and we stay more disconnected and self-isolated and self-quarantined, some of us really are going to need these type of services. Let's try to check in with each other. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to have another podcast again for you next week. Remember, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best thing. And no good thing ever dies. Stay safe.